then I will send it to uh, outer space yes. on the next space shuttle to <laughs> greet the aliens. Elon, take it up with you. <laughs> also, like, it was kind of sad yesterday that, like, we're all prepped for the big space release and it was delayed. Cloudy. But you know what, though? Back in the 70s, that would have been like, chuck them up. It's fine. <laughs> right. And, and they, then disaster. Yeah. So I'm glad they're being safe. It's why I'm always happy anytime there's like a delay for a roller coaster. Oh, I'm like, my at least you're God. checking it. Yes. Because <laughs> honestly, uh, this is the whole thing. Like, you'll never know, like, if it would have turned out bad. But like, so you're never going to regret, like, not doing the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. they said that about um California said that about uh, sheltering in place. Mm. They're like, if we don't see an immediate result of this, but they're like, if you feel like it wasn't worth it because nothing crazy happened, then like, that's a good thing. Right. The best quarantine's a boring one. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That, that means it's successful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about quarantine. No, we're not. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Absolutely. But just a side note, we're drinking the entire time because if you haven't heard, this podcast is on the rocks. So. And uh, <laughs> we're not historians. No. Uh-uh. We're together maybe one full historian. Yes, I would <sighs> think so. But we know that you're listening audio yes so you're busy you're busy you're listening to this podcast because your hands are busy doing something else most likely you're knitting cleaning you know cracking open a beer maybe a (laughs) hundred beers i don't know your life but (laughs) either way your hands are busy so you can't google this person or these people so we're gonna tell you what they look like we're gonna get a little physical physical oh man who are you doing and what do they look like? I am doing the enchanting Anna May Wong. She, the best. I know. I know. I know. She is a Chinese American woman. She has a heart-shaped face, defined, I mean, beautiful mm-hmm. jawline and cheekbones. Like this woman had angles all mm-hmm. over the place. Her hair was typically pulled back in like a flapper style, mm-hmm. but she had a very severe statement bang. Yes. That's always what I think of when I think of her. Bam. Yes. Even on her like Google art that like <laughs> that was displayed, yes. she had that bang. Um, usually, she was typecast as a very stereotypical Eastern Asian woman. So, in many of her pictures of her in costume, she's given a very "this is what Asian people look like" thing. Yeah, but it's very different if you find pictures of her not in costume. She looks very sweet and jovial. Um, she was great at working with a camera. But mm-hmm. there's this really cute picture of her with this super long hair, and she's measuring it with a measuring tape. <laughs> and I, it's just the cutest thing. Yeah. She also had um, big full lips, very pencil thin eyebrows that went like across her entire forehead mm-hmm. and um, really gorgeous and telling eyes in stage makeup. They gave her a very severe cat eye to make her eyes look like drastic and pointy. But okay. without stage makeup, she looks very different. OK, so that is what anime looks like. And please, guys, once you're done opening 100 beers. Yeah. <laughs> Google her because she is breathtaking. Oh, also super tall and skinny. Yeah. (laughs) She is like a 1900 starlet. Yeah. I love it. So today I am doing Leah T. 
Um, she is a supermodel, so of course she's <laughs> gorgeous. Um, she's 5'11", which actually struck me as, like, very short for a supermodel. Yeah. Um, but, like, she's one of those things, like, you know how Carmen Miranda looked, like, 6'5"? Right. I feel like that's how she is. Like, Leah looks so tall. She portrays height. Exactly. She has an incredibly thin but toned frame with tan skin. She has long, dark hair, which is sometimes is like down to like the middle of her back. And like sometimes it's just like very straight and shiny. And other times it's like big and wavy and just gorgeous. Um, she has the most amazing sharp cheekbones, which help frame her dark almond eyes and her full lips. She is considered one of the most beautiful women in the world right now. And she is Brazilian. I don't know if I said that. Um, she's Brazilian. Um, but yeah, that's Leah T. She's so pretty. I can't oh wait. God. I don't know anything about Leah T. Like <gasps> very, great. very little. Did we come up with this or was this a suggestion? No, um, you had posted about her on Instagram and like that post, I think it gotten a lot of comments or something something like that okay. and so that was how we picked some of the people actually for this season yes we did with the, the ones that got a lot of likes yes. we were like okay I guess people want to know about that yeah exactly yeah. so well, now, we're now I start. remember yeah <laughs> do you want to know what you're drinking I do it looks delicious so this is called the hidden starlet Ooh. and it is four ounces of orange juice a half ounce of cherry brandy an ounce and a half of gin ginger ale ice cherry love it great cheers cheers so good i mean just so and it's like today is one of those days in baltimore where it's insanely humid we're swimming through the air <laughs> so bad so this feels so good and refreshing mm -hmm. i feel like this i feel like i said that's um about another um cocktail you made recently it'd be so good as a batch cocktail right just like a picture a of this at a summer party so good. Um, mm. And it's the same as that color as the last two weeks, mm -hmm. which is, I'm just going to stick to that because it's going well for me. It is. You're really hitting it out of the park this I, week. I'm loving it. <laughs> um, so can you tell me what you know about Anna Mae Wong? Okay. I know she was an actress. I feel like she was one of those actresses who tr made the difficult transition from the silent film era to the quote-unquote talkies mm -hmm. um i know that she was very angry at hollywood because they kept typecasting her and they never gave her real parts and then i think this famous story goes like she was up for like this really important part and they gave it to a white woman and she was like what the fuck um and i only know this because i just finished the series hollywood on netflix which in my mind is controversial <laughs> because <laughs> it was a good show, but like every ending was like the forties Hollywood ending for like each character. Right. And it they're was giving like, them the story they deserved, but they didn't actually get that exactly. story. And they're it's like, look, anime won. She won an Oscar. And it's like, but I don't think she did in real life. Right. No, she never won her Oscar. So no, it's like, I appreciate you saying that she should have. And like, but it makes it even more heartbreaking that, like, in the show, they did this thing where, like, when each character was winning their Oscar, like, there were people back home, like, it shows, like, this Asian American family that's like, oh, my God, like, and they're, like, flipping out, you know, because Anime Wong won. Right. But, but yes, yeah, so that was the problem I had with it was, like, that's so lovely to portray, but it didn't happen. Right. Like, and we're going to talk about it. Okay, we're going to talk great. about the Oscars. Okay. We're going to talk about the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Okay. Um, the Chinese theater with that handprints in yep. it. We are going to cover all the things that Perfect. Asian people did not have and do not have. Um, 
And her story, it is just a journey. And she took it like a fucking champ. Mm. So let's dig deep. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Anna Mae Wong was born Lu Tsong, which meant Frosted Yellow Willow, on mm. January 3rd, 1905. What a nice name. I know. <laughs> but she goes by anime. Because, okay. you know, it's easier to say for the white people. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so in Los Angeles... Uh, she lives one block north of Chinatown in an integrated community. There's Chinese people, there's Irish people, there's German people, there's Japanese people. She is the second of seven children, and her father was a launderer. Um, after all the railroads were built across this country and the gold rush was over, Chinese men could really only take jobs that were slotted for females, like laundry, right, yeah. so that they wouldn't be threatened, like a threat to white guys. Oh my God. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Okay. So that's where our society comes from today. (laughs) Um, And then obviously um, she has a mother, but her mother is her father's second wife. He has two wives simultaneously. Simultaneously? Like on purpose? Or like, okay. There's one in China. Oh. He went back and forth to China and the U.S. a lot because his dad was a merchant. Um, so he has one wife in China and one son. And then when he decided to stay in the U.S., he married again and has seven children in the U.S. Whoa. But he sends money back to his wife and son in China. And like everybody knows about each other. Okay. So it's like not like a secret family situation. It's like, hey, I just can't, you know, I just need to have two families because you're in separate countries. Right. Okay. So as long as it's consensual, <laughs> everybody knows what's happening. And I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't more common back then. That probably okay. is the thing that happened. Yeah. Um, but her parents were second generation Chinese because both her maternal Chinese American, because her maternal and paternal grandparents had both moved to the U.S. around 1855. So she's third generation Chinese American. She's not like, quote unquote, off the boat. Like right. she was born and raised in L.A., Okay. Like, she's an American West Coast girly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anna, like I said, is this, Anna May is the second of the seven children that live here. When she was five, her family moves a little bit farther away from Chinatown, but not super far. But they end up being the only Chinese people on the block in their new neighborhood. Everybody else is mostly either Mexican or Eastern European. Mm -hmm. To put that into perspective, L.A. has around or this area has around 3000 Chinese people, but only one in 20 of them are female. So she is a rarity. Oh, my God. Why are the numbers like that? The numbers are really weird because when they put a lot of laws into effect to prevent Chinese immigration, one of the things they were really cautious about was sex workers or prostitution. So they felt like women would that came into the United States, they just got less permission because they assumed Chinese women were prostitutes. That's fucked. It's so fucked. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this story is going great. <laughs> but it's so frustrating. It's, it's like, well, <laughs> all of it's like if you are a sex worker, it's like all your clients are white men, like <laughs> coming over in like the 1900s. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, again, it's like maybe you should fix yourself <laughs> instead of not letting me into the country because you're assuming this about me. Yeah. It's kind of like that law. There's a law that um in Maryland that no more than like 
three women can reside in the same house together that are of like that are over 18 because it's technically considered a brothel i don't know if it's still in the books but it was definitely a law at some point oh that is so cool i cannot wait till my daughters are over 18 (laughs) we have to look that up because it's like it's like not a crazy amount. It's not like you can't have 50 women living in a house together. It's oh like my God. three or four. We're going to look it up and post about it. <laughs> yes. I can't wait. That's great. Um, now they're, like I said, two neighborhoods away from Chinatown, which helps her assimilate even more into American culture. She and her older sister are attending the local public schools. They're getting racial taunts, though, so their parents move them to a local Christian Chinese school. And the classes are taught in English, but anime attends Chinese classes after school and on Saturdays to learn mm. the language and the culture customs. And she, her family's mostly christian but they also follow a lot of confucianism and taoism and that just influences her life the whole time yeah u.s motion picture production in the early 1900s was on the east coast but during her life it moved to la and movies are shot constantly in and around anime's neighborhood so she begins going to these little nickelodeon movie theaters and becomes (laughs) obsessed she starts skipping school and taking her lunch money to go to the cinema <laughs> on the weekend when she's working for her dad, she saves her tip money up. And then instead of going back to work, we'll just like go to the movie theater. And because she's Asian, she has to sit in the segregated seats, which are in the balcony. And um, she had big visions. She was like, I don't want to be in this segregated balcony for the rest of my life. I want to be on that screen. Mm. So this is where her dreaming began. Okay. And her mom knows that she's skipping school and going to the movies and helps her hide it from her dad. Oh my gosh. And doesn't really tell him. And her dad <laughs> is not happy with how much she loves movies because showbiz in Chinese culture is kind of seen as sex work because if you think about like tea houses and stuff, it's a performance. You yeah. play music, you sing, and then you have some sort of transaction. Well, I feel like that's how it's been forever. So right. like right now we're reading a book and together Mm -hmm. for an interview that's coming up and one of the things that I found really interesting which I can't wait to ask the author about is like theaters back in the day like were seen as like basically brothels and like like men would like go in and like basically every theater was kind of like a dirty movie theater and like men would go in and like meet up with sex workers to have sex with them in the theater. And this isn't like movies. This is like live action plays. And like I could not. Like I can't wait to get more information on that. But I feel like that stigma has followed actors forever. Right. Of like, like it's not a respectable career. Yeah. And I feel like it's also followed them in the way that like, well, the only way you're going to get a job in Hollywood is if like you do porn or like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, give a producer what he wants or whatever. Like you do, if you promise you'll do nudity on. Yeah, screen. exactly. Yeah. And I feel like there are so many people who are like, that's not the case always. Like sometimes, unfortunately, yes, it is. But like just because I want to act doesn't mean I'm. <laughs> gonna be a sex worker right totally different things um or you can act and be a sex worker yeah you can (laughs) absolutely so shout out to all you people who do both right but that interview (laughs) right i do neither yeah that interview will drop on um july 7th when the book comes out so perfect got a little while to wait for that guys that's a a little little teaser teaser. (laughs) Uh, um, okay so 
she has big blowout fights with her dad over this. Not like relationship breaking fights, but like Mm -hmm. teenage fights. Like this is what I want to do. And she says this was these were the first great battles for her right to have this career. So she got Mm. practice fighting with her dad to like get this done. Yeah. At age nine, she is constantly begging the filmmakers through her neighborhood to give her roles, which earned her the nickname Curious Chinese Child. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, By 11, she had selected her stage name, Anna Mae Wong, which took her family name Wong and then her American name, Anna Mae. Anna Mae was working at a Hollywood department store when Metro Pictures needed 300 extras to appear in the Red Lantern. Without her father's knowledge, she goes and gets an unaccredited role in this film, just carrying a lantern across the screen. Okay. And that's all she does, but she gets it. And then she starts working steadily for the next two years in various movies, just as an extra. Yeah. You're in the background. She's still a student at this time, but apparently came down with this like really awful illness that caused her to miss like months and months of schools. And it was school and it was like a disorder where she would have these rapid, uncoordinated, like jerky moments and it just wasn't getting better. And she's on the verge of like collapse and her like emotional collapse. And her father took her to um, a person who practiced traditional Chinese medicine and she just like gets better. Whoa. And she goes, I think I just pursued my way through it. Like she's like, it was my brain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, girl, you were really sick. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Unable to keep up with school and acting, she drops out of L.A. high school in 1921 to pursue a full-time acting career. Later, she said, I was so young when I began that I knew I still had youth if I failed, so I determined to give myself 10 years to succeed as an actress. At 17, she succeeds. (laughs) She scores her first leading role in a Technicolor silent film called Toll of the Sea. And this is available on YouTube. It is so good. Like, and I'm not into silent films, and it is very good. She plays a character called Lotus Flower. She rescues a white man from the sea. Then they have a baby together. Then he leaves and returns with his white wife. And she is in so much grief and sadness that she gives them their baby and then drowns herself. (gasps) Oh, my God. Like, walks off into the sea. Um, And Variety Magazine and The New Yorker single out her performance as great, saying that this is a difficult role and it is botched nine out of ten times, and she was the tenth. She nailed it. Oh, my God. 17 years old. Silent film. And just watch a couple clips from it if you're not going to watch the whole thing because – she doesn't overact. You know how silent films, a lot of times they like throw their hands on their forehead. Yes. It's literally where we get like the overacting. Yes. It's, it's like you have to emote with your face. <laughs> they can't hear you. And the thing is, her face acting is great, but it's not overacted. Yeah. It's so good. Ugh. She could cry on demand. And I'm super jealous because she is a pretty crier. Mm. I don't know how she's so pretty when she cries, but she's good at it. I'm jealous. I'm a horrible crier. I'm sniffly, ugly, wrinkling up my nose and forehead. It's crazy. Um, I'll take a picture of it next time. (laughs) 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 So she's 17 and knocks it out of the park. 
Love it. Despite the great reviews, Hollywood was reluctant to cast her as a leading lady due to her race. She had a level of stardom in Hollywood, but Hollywood did not know what to do with her. We've talked about this a lot, like with Shirley Temple. It was like she was super famous, but she was too old, too young. Same with Judy Garland. Like Mm -hmm. you don't fit in correctly. We don't know how to handle you. Um, So she spent the next few years just doing supporting roles, providing an exotic atmosphere oh my god I, uh, yeah mm, i know okay i hate it as a concubine a maid a chinese villainess whatever so at 19 years old anna may was cast in a supporting role as a scheming mongol slave in the 1924 movie the thief of baghdad she has a stereotypical dragon lady role her brief appearance on screen earned her attention though this time not just from critics but audiences too this film grossed two million dollars back then oh my god uh-huh and introduced her to the public because wow in this movie she is sexy really she is like wearing a princess leia style bikini oh shit yeah and like 1920 bond girl type shit and people are like whoa (laughs) (laughs) but these are silent films so people assume she was born in china they're like oh it's this chinese woman yeah they have no idea she's american yeah and do they make her what are we still in the um are we still in the silent film Still era? silent. Okay. She's not talking at all. Okay. Because I'm curious what happens when she has to start talking. Okay. Oh, girl. I'm sure there's a story there. It's so <laughs> cool. It is so cool. Okay. So it's around this time that Anna May is like possibly having this first affair. Okay. Anna May, spoiler alert, she never marries and never has kids. Okay. And she's rumored to have affairs with men and women through okay. her career, but we have no proof of any of that. No proof of it. Of any of with either sex. Okay. So it's just that's something that's gonna keep happening. But it's it's interesting and we'll talk about it later when she talks about why she hasn't married. After her second prominent role, she moves out of her parents' house and gets an apartment as a single Asian American woman in the nineteen twenties, has her own apartment in L.A. She's so cool. Oh, my God. She's conscious, though, that Americans view her as a perpetual foreigner, even though she was born and raised in California. So she starts to cultivate her flapper image. This is her first step into fashionista, which she becomes full-blown by her 30s. Um, And she plans to start making films about Chinese myths, and she actually even signs a deal creating Anime Wong Productions, but it doesn't work out. Her business partner is being kind of a liar. She has to take him to court and the business is dissolved. But she was trying to make a woman-owned production company, an Asian-American woman-owned production company in the 1920s. That would have totally changed the game. Yeah. It really would have because the audience was there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would have succeeded and given opportunities to so many people to have more nuanced roles. Yep. Like. Rather than, like, all the shit that she was being given time and time again. Right. And it sucks, but, but like, she tried. And I think she it did. shows that, like, she just kept trying to be groundbreaking. She tried yep. to take it from every angle. She was not, like, coasting. Right. She was like, I'm going to do shit. Yeah. And if I fail, then I fail, like... Whole time pedal to the metal. And every time she failed, she got right back up. So she began to realize that she would never have a career grow with America's anti-miscegenation laws, which prevented her from having an on-screen kiss with any person of another race. Mm. So even if the character she was kissing was portraying an Asian man and he was white, she couldn't kiss him on screen because they cast a white guy and that's illegal. 
So she's That's stuck. Bananas. I just like don't. I. Mm. It's crazy. Unless they cast an Asian man, she can't have the role. I'm just imagining like an Asian man like stunt kiss double like <laughs> yeah like, thrown in like like um what's his face did that in the movie Fireproof Kirk Cameron <laughs> he had his wife do like a stunt double role as his on-screen wife because he wouldn't kiss anyone that wasn't his wife in a movie oh interesting well you know yeah. what else at the end of one of the Thor movies mm-hmm. um they had filmed thor um kissing natalie portman but uh-huh. then they had to redo the scene and she wasn't available to come back so it's actually his wife <gasps> in one of the scenes they like did her up in the back oh with, my god like she's natalie portman that's cute and that's only the first time natalie portman will be in this story <laughs> wait only the first wait There's another time really <laughs> which is so okay, weird that's strange <laughs> it is very weird. wow <laughs> the journeys we take <laughs> you knew you felt it I in me it. you're a mentalist <laughs> <laughs> only for natalie portman <laughs> anna may continued to offer exotic supporting roles and follows up with the rising vamp stereotype obviously a vamp is a femme fatale stock character that's mystical and beautiful and a seductive woman that kind of gets a man into a compromising deadly trap <laughs> <laughs> But she also has to play all these roles of indigenous women. She's playing like an Inuit from Alaska. And then she plays Tiger Lily in Peter Pan. No way. Yeah. And they're just like, because she's not white, she can be anything. I I never understood that. (laughs) Like, I think it's so fascinating that like... I feel like Hollywood has this history of doing that where it's like, well, Italian men look Native American, so we'll just make them Native American in this movie. It's like, why not just cast a Native American man? They right. exist in America, and I'm sure some of them are actors. Like, yeah. it's, uh, it's crazy, but they, they love it. Okay. <laughs> so again, the next year, she gained critical acclaim for her role in 40 Winks, which they said, quote unquote, was a good oriental vamp role for her which she's horrible she was disappointed with her roles even though she got high critical acclaim so she joins this group to do a vaudeville circuit around that fails horribly but she keeps going (laughs) so she gets invited to the groundbreaking ceremony at Grauman's chinese theater and was even invited to put the first rivet into the structure but she was not invited to leave her hand or footprints in Come the on. She could just be there for the ceremony. In 1927, she starred in Silk Bouquet, and this was one of the first U.S. movies produced with actual Chinese backing and money. The movie was sent was set in the Ming Dynasty and featured Asian actors playing Asian roles. So this was ground groundbreaking the way that joy luck club was and crazy rich asians okay. and like those are the two movies i know <laughs> it's like crazy that it's like i mean crazy it rich asians yeah just came out yeah. and everybody was like holy shit an entirely asian cast it's like all right it's like we should be at the point where that's not front page news anymore <laughs> right. like but it is one of two roles she could play is a naive self-sacrificing butterfly okay or sly deceitful dragon lady okay she said quote unquote i must always die in the movies so the white girl with the yellow hair can get the man oh my god and that she joked that her tombstone should say the girl who died a hundred deaths Oh, my God. So she just she had to die at the end of every movie like that was her job. She died on screen so many times. The increasing 
censorship against mixed race on-screen couples cost her a couple of leading roles and it made her really angry and disappointed tired of it tired of not being able to get cast as asian roles even though she's asian she decided because right, that's the frustrating thing they're casting yeah. her in literally a, every stereotypical asian role but any role that's just calling for like an asian woman they give to white women right it's so stupid it's it makes absolutely no sense so she pulls a josephine baker and goes to europe no way she's like forget y'all and she just leaves um and I, I want to put a little bit of preface to this. So the Chinese Exclusion Act came out in 1862, um, obviously before she was born. And that was the first law ever in the United States to restrict an actual race from coming into this country. Um, so it's the end of the Civil War. And they're like, oh, hey, Emancipation Proclamation and no more Chinese people. Oh, my God. Um, and then, uh, like we said earlier, after the gold rush and the railroads, they were like, we don't have any more need for Asian people. And there was this... Um, like horrible idea that they were the yellow peril and they were bringing in these three things, opium, gambling, and prostitutes. Well, and it's really irritating because I hate the idea that it's like, we don't need any more of you as if there's like a cap to like who can live in America. Mm -hmm. Like it's super irritating because you would never say that about like white men. Like we have enough white men. Thank you very much. We have enough people from England. Yeah. Germany, like, you know, it like, you know, whatever, like you can stop bringing people over now, like Sweden, get out of here. It's like, that's never the case for them. Right. It's always the case for people of different ethnicities. Yeah. I think maybe other than white is what I mean. Like, I think maybe only like the Irish definitely. Oh, oh, that's true. Got hit with it. They um, face some bad shit. Yeah, and I but I, it's also coastal, East Coast versus West Coast. Like <sighs> that's true. who you hate, and the West Coast was tired of Asian immigration. Okay, um, which is just so sad. And there were some great atrocities, some of which were putting groups of Asian people on rafts and sending them out to sea. What? Some were burning down Chinatowns. Some were lynchings. Some were tying. Um, Asian people to the back of steers and sending them into the desert to die. Asian people couldn't own property. They couldn't marry outside of their race. If Even if they were American citizen born and raised in this country, if they left the country and then wanted to come back in, they had to do an interview to get back into the country, which is troublesome for Anna Mae Wong because she travels all the damn time. It's also, isn't that against the Constitution? Because if you're a U.S. citizen... Like they were seen as partial citizens. Okay. It was like one podcast I they listened love doing to. That, they don't do. they? <laughs> they love it. Um, one podcast I listened to said it was like um, you were an American citizen with a little asterisk. Like you're an American citizen, but you're Asian American. Yeah. And it's just it's something we I think that in especially as a history teacher, I don't think we talk about discrimination against Asian people enough. No, we um, don't. And it might, like I said, be a coastal thing. Like maybe because this is really the Civil War battleground, maybe right. that's why we talk about it here. Um, but maybe the West Coast covers it very differently. And you know what? I think that that's true because when we off- we um, interviewed author Julia Kelly, I was thinking I cannot believe that she learned in school about the Japanese internment camps because mm. she grew up in California. Right. And that was part of her school curriculum is learning about the atrocities that the Japanese people underwent here. And I didn't know that I, I literally learned absolutely nothing about that. Maybe it's also because I went to private, private Christian school. I don't know, but <laughs> possibly none of my friends knew about it. Yeah. Like that went to public school. Yeah. I, it's just, it's not covered as widely. I would say it's not as much general knowledge as some of the other 
um, atrocities that have happened in the United States. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so in Europe, she became a star doing notable films. German critics freaking love her. They were like, she's ours now. We're never letting her go. Literally, they said that in our article. Um, <laughs> They said she's a transcendent talent. She's a great beauty. And she, I mean, they're breezing over the fact that she's an American born <laughs> in the articles yeah. and because she looks Chinese and this is in between the tw- the World War One and World War Two. So oh my God. they're kind of like not touching on that territory, but they love, love, love her. Mm. Um, while in Europe, she has this inseparable friendship with, Um, a woman and there's a lot of rumors that she is a lesbian because she's also an unmarried woman and this damages her public reputation big time in China and the United States Um, especially China who already thinks that she is a slutty slut they are not happy it's like you're already a damaged woman because you're like an actress yeah so don't go around being a lesbian as well how could you wow Um, (laughs) yeah and these rumors obviously really embarrass anime's family Mm. Um, because they just they feel like oh my god we didn't want her to be an actor and now this is reflecting badly on us Um, she did her last silent film in 1929 but this was an important film because it was the first of five starring roles that she got in British films and it's called Piccadilly it's really good she plays like a dishwasher (laughs) you know what I mean like at a restaurant but it's, it's a good role and she does a good job while in London she's romantically linked to a guy but this is where she makes the flip to talkies. Okay. So silent film to talkies. Um, and she's also on stage a lot. Most of the performance she did in like Germany and first in London was stage acting. Um, and she even, oh my God, everybody YouTube, um, anime Wong singing opera in German. <gasps> she is incredible. That sounds great. It's really cool. So she's over there. Um, and There's this movie called The Flame of Love. She recorded it in English, German, and French. And, I mean, she gets lauded for it a little bit because it wasn't great. Um, And then she does this play where in the UK where they kind of make fun of her for her California accent, (laughs) calling it Yankee speak. (laughs) I love that that's the accent she gets made fun of for Uh is California because the California accent is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Probably being close to all that water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This, um, that's great. God, it, um, our accent is so dumb. It is so dumb. And Tess, Tess sent us a message on Instagram about that. It was so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. Water down at Washington. <laughs> you go down by the ocean. You down little Italy. Oh. <laughs> We're idiots. We're idiots. Anyway, all of this negative speak about her, the way she talks, prompted her to go off on her own and get a vocal tutor. <laughs> I need a vocal tutor. She gets a vocal tutor from Cambridge University. Okay. <laughs> uh, and she becomes a master of French, German, English, and gets rid of her American accent, which a couple podcasts were like, she's like Madonna. <laughs> but, um, 
This... No, I think Madonna just made up her own accent. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> this is where she got her deep, strong, amazing voice because she had a vocal tutor. And it's why, like you said, she is one of the few actresses that helped make the transition between silent films and talkies. Cool. cool, cool she cool. worked for that. She did not just like get it. Yeah. In 1930s, American studios are like, whoa, 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 who's this girl who's great in Europe? Oh, it's Anna May. We want her back. Yeah. So they like call her back over and she's offered a contract from Paramount Studios with the promise of some leading roles. Um, her training in Europe helped land her some roles on Broadway. But when the play director wanted her to act using stereotypical Japanese mannerisms to play a Chinese character, she refuses. She's like, my knowledge of Chinese style and gestures tells me that this is not how I should be acting this part. Yeah. Um, Anna May's mom dies around this time. She mm -hmm. gets struck by a car in front of their house. <gasps> oh, my God. So, yeah, very weird. So her dad actually moves back to China with his other wife and the younger siblings. Wow. Okay. So he's like, okay, wife number two is dead. So I'm going to go back to I'm wife just gonna number go. one. Yeah. And it, this is kind of important because Anna Mae had been paying for them to go to school. Um, so this is kind oh. of an interesting transition for her. Okay. So with the promise of appearing in a Steinberg film, she accepted yet another stereotypical role in Daughter of the Dragon. And this was the last evil Chinese woman that anime played, saying, why is it that the screen Chinese is always the villain? And so crude a villain, murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass? We're not like that. How could we be with a civilization that is so many times older than the West? Whoa. So she kind of becomes a little bit of an activist yeah. for her cause which is before activism is important mm -hmm. um and she also starts to turn her concerns to actual china who before the united states got involved in world war ii japan had taken china and korea um as colonies of their own so she's right. like starting to like speak out about like world war ii before anybody in america cared yeah um, so when she's 27 years old, she stars, and this is worth watching, beside Melina or Melina Dietrich in Shanghai Express. They are both sex workers, and people get to talking about maybe them having a lesbian <gasps> relationship. I love that. I know. Marlene Dietrich, that would be great. Mm. Um, and she doesn't die in this movie, and it's the highest grossing film of the year. There we go. And she totally outacts Marlene Dietrich. She kills this role. Uh, but Chinese newspapers are like, you suck. Stop being a sex no. worker in movies. You're putting out negative stereotypes about Chinese women, um, which totally hurts her because she's like, man, I just want... Like, I'm trying to do all the things. Because she's juggling. When yeah. you're juggling, like... Cultures. The weight of, like, two different cultures. And, like, it does suck because she already knows that, like, she doesn't want to do the stereotypical sex worker, you know, dragon lady roles. But she's like... But I feel like that one was a little different because she's like, oh, no, me and this white woman are in this boat together. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm the sex worker and she's the wife. And I don't die at the end. Yeah, and I don't... Yeah. <laughs> That's That makes me really sad that she wasn't getting that support from like yeah it just that makes me yeah. sad it it it, it kind of leans on like what happens to her later in life that she kind of always had this pressure okay um in europe and america she has become a fashion 
icon and it is plastered everywhere that she is the world's most beautiful Chinese woman. Today, she's like what I said, you would call a fashionista. She knew her body. Mm. She was comfortable in her body. She could work her angles. She had a friend who was a photographer, always took pictures of her. She is incredibly beautiful and just a true true starlet Mm -hmm. like I cannot say more how much she is old Hollywood Mm. and she is like I think it's hard to be like oh she's a beautiful Asian woman because so often Asian women are that stereotype of being a sexy Asian woman is put on them Mm -hmm. but she is a classy ass starlet yeah like she has got class out you know her ears yeah she's so beautiful um after her success with Shanghai Express, Anna May's Hollywood career returns to its old pattern, specifically because of our favorite, the Haze Code acts oh <laughs> that keep pressing down on really censorship in movies. And MGM says, you look too Chinese to play these roles, the, the Chinese roles that she's auditioning for. <sighs> Which is so stupid and it's what created a horrible mark on Hollywood known as yellow face. Yeah. When I feel like that also happens to like black women with like darker skin. They're like, you're, you look too black for this role. And it's like, what is that even like, what? (laughs) How am I too black? Yeah. I'm just a, I'm a black woman. Yeah. (laughs) What do you want from me? Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously they did that with blackface too. Yeah, absolutely. And Hollywood with that era I mean there's so many movies we talked about it with Breakfast at Tiffany's like yep. there's so many classic movies that you should feel uncomfortable watching yeah because there are marks on them that are unforgivable mm-hmm. and you know that yellow face is one of them yeah after missing a, yet another role for being Asian she's like forget it I'm going back to London and she even appears it she goes there for three years and then appears in King George's Silver Jubilee program love it people in Europe are like down for her um and when in London she got to appear in a kissing role with a male lead which she later remarks is one of her favorite films because she mm-hmm. felt like she was like breaking the American you know rules but then I actually heard a interview where a Chinese woman was talking about this this week and she's like it was so cool to hear her say that but like I also wish I could do a role where I didn't have to kiss somebody now because it's like I'm seen as such a sex symbol it's like almost flipped it's the opposite yeah so she hears Pearl Buck's novel The Good Earth is set to be filmed in the United States and she wants this role it's an Asian character the name's Olan. I mean, she returns to unite the United States for, for this, this role. She makes it known to the public that she wants it. She makes it known to Hollywood that she wants it. Newspapers all over the country are like, anime needs this role. This is her role. But they cast a white male lead. And she's like, well, fuck. So they cast a white female lead both Austrian weirdly enough and she's offered the part of the white female leads younger sister and I just she's like I just I can't take it I I'm not going to do that I'm not gonna play this younger sister surrounded by an entire white cast so she turns it down from what I could tell her screen test for the female lead was 
incredible. Yeah. Like it would have, she would have been a household name today still if she had gotten this part. Um, but the woman who did get the part, the white woman, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, won an Oscar for this role. The white woman who got this part. So I wanted to bring up a little bit about Oscars right here in terms of the two acting awards, best supporting actor and best actor um, in best supporting actress. There have only ever been four Asian women nominated. Only one win. Oh, my God. A Japanese woman. Um, in Best Actress, only two Asian women have ever been nominated with one win. And that win went to Natalie Portman because she was born in Israel. So, so really zero wins. Right. And it's like, yes, Israel is a part of Asia. But if we're talking Eastern Asian, there are zero wins for oscars in best actor actress ever that's horrible it's insane it's one of those things like i feel like it's this problem that like i don't see because i'm a fucking white person and like i'm sure it feels terrible to be like i just want to be on the screen i just want to be acknowledged and like the bar is now like even further away because the longer history goes on the harder it is i feel like to <laughs> to like feel like it's possible right and we just talked about like the fact that like crazy rich asians is like a shocking movie because how, it's all asian people it's like well, also how did no woman in that movie win anything. best actress or supporting actress i don't know also we have fucking aquafina doing everything amazing and like no awards yeah it's, like what the fuck yeah i mean i think the farewell did win some awards but like Aquafina should have won like best actress for her portrayal in that movie. It was so good. Yeah. And I mean, it's just really, it's, it's really hard to look at when you look at the actual numbers yeah. because you don't realize how small they are. Yeah. Um, so after this major disappointment, I mean, her brother in interviews was like, this was so hard for her. She's so hurt. She goes, you know what? I'm going to go to China for the first time. First time. She's never been. Never been. Oh, my God. She's like, I'm going to go to China. So she gets up. She goes um, to visit. And she visits her father and her siblings. And she's like, I'm going to go around. I'm going to learn more about China. I'm going to learn more about how to portray these people correctly in movies because I'm always cast as them. Yep. And here's how she said it. For a year, I shall study the land of my fathers. Perhaps upon my arrival, I shall feel like an outsider. Perhaps instead, I shall find my past life assuming a dreamlike quality of unreality. She's great. Uh, she gets asked the marriage question a lot. And she says, no, I'm wedded to my art. I hope I don't marry for a very long time. Uh, like I said, she'd been rumored to have many affairs, but she's not allowed to marry out of her race and she's not allowed to marry out of her gender. And all of her affairs have been with white men or women. Yeah. So what is she going to do? She needed a man of her caliber, which was going to be hard to find because there are some male Asian actors, but like who's to say that she's going to fall in love with one of them. Yeah. You can't pigeonhole people. Mm -mm. Um, and one, a big problem was that a lot of Chinese men in America at that time wanted to marry women that were born in China because they wanted a quote unquote real housewife. Oh my God. So they didn't want American born Chinese women. Um, which is just, I mean, there's just so many things happening. There's women issues, there's race issues, there's uh, everything in this story. So 
while in China, she's heavily criticized by the government. I mean, people are like yelling at her at the like conferences she's going to like giving 40 minute speeches against her and she's even finding it difficult to communicate because she was raised speaking like a traditional dialect and not mandarin so she goes and learns her fourth language mandarin um and again like we said earlier they felt that she was bringing shame on their race the international celebrity of anime starts to really weigh on her life she goes through bouts of depression and anger and excessive drinking and smoking and she's not greeted nice by quote unquote her people because she doesn't fit anywhere. She's too American to be Chinese and she's too Chinese to be American. And it is just, she feels like there is no place to call home to complete her contract with Paramount pictures though. She has to come back to the United States. So Anna Mae comes back and does a string of B movies in the late thirties. These films are largely ignored by critics and you know, Some of them are stereotypical roles. Some of them aren't. But part of her contract is also that Anna Mae has to tutor some actors on how to do Chinese things better. Like use chopsticks and like certain things um, for films that she's not getting cast in. So she's teaching white people how to be like quote unquote be Asian yes so that they can be in the films that she should be in it's so frustrating so every time she gets frustrated she ups and leaves so she goes to Australia for a couple months and then comes back (laughs) she attended many socialite events in California in the 1940s this is when Pearl Harbor gets attacked and this is when America starts to care about World War II so turn of events she gets cast in a lot of propaganda videos <gasps> as a Chinese person. Oh and the white Americans are playing the Japanese bad guys. <laughs> like, it is crazy. But she becomes, like, really integral. Intru- in- integral? Integral. I think it's <laughs> integral. <laughs> integral. In, um fundraising for the Chinese people for the war even though they had just like been shitty to her yeah and she visits soldiers around the country and says like and I noticed that the black soldiers and white soldiers were kept separate so I visited the black soldiers twice (laughs) and like would do things she's so cool um and then the wife and the wife of the leader of China comes to visit the United States there's a huge fundraiser and 30,000 people go to the Hollywood Bowl to hear her speak and to raise money for China. Um, Anna Mae Wong had been leading the efforts in America for, you know, the Chinese war efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy Garland's there. Ginger Rogers is there. Um, Rita Hayworth is there. Shirley Temple's there. Where's Anna Mae Wong? Not invited. <sighs> Not invited. She's humiliated. She's hurt. She's like, I can't. This is the. This is the thing I've been working for, not even invited. Um, she says, well, you know what? I'm not going to be a star this way, so I'm moving on to television. So she lands a role as like a detective, <laughs> like another male lead. And then she lands a role as like a surgeon. Like she starts playing these weird, untraditional roles. Yeah. Um, and then she became the first Asian-American woman to star on a TV show called Gallery of Madame Lutzong, which she plays the title role under her birth name. She was a dealer of Chinese art in this show um, with, like, international intrigue. Mm-hmm. Um, there were 10 half-hour episodes that aired before it was canceled. 
reviews were not very good. Oh. Um, but unfortunately, it's one of the shows that got dumped into the East River in the 70s. <gasps> oh so there God. are none of this show that exists. Um, the next TV show to star an Asian American woman didn't come out until 1994. And it's ridiculous. Yeah, it was called All American Girl. In 1953, she suffered an internal hemorrhage and the hospital put like eight quarts of blood in her to try and keep her alive. Her brother, you know, was trying to help her out. She has all these financial worries now. Her health is spotty for the remainder of her life. She lives like 10 more years, but she has to start like selling her jewelry to pay hospital bills because they weren't paying her a lot because she was Asian. Um, In 1956, she releases footage though. Her entire year in China, she had been filming. And she made a documentary and narrated it, becoming the first U.S. documentary narrated by a Chinese-American. That's so cool. It's very cool that she had been doing that. And that was 1936 when she went over there, and it's 1956. Like 20 years later, she Mm -hmm. releases this documentary. She also got a guest spot on a lot of small shows, including The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, where she played a character called China Mary. Oh, my God. (laughs) Anna May was scheduled to be Madame Ling in the film production of Flower Drum Song, but died of a heart attack as she slept next to the script in February 1961. Her cremated remains are interned at her mother's grave along with her sister. Even though she was super famous and influential during the civil rights movement, Asian people became hyper aware of being viewed as Asian. And again, even after her death, people turned their back on her. They felt she created stereotypes, but really she was just reacting to them. And they felt that she was a source of shame at this time. It wasn't until recently that Anna Mae Wong got the justice that she deserved. She did receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It is located at 1708 Vine Street. She is also depicted in one of the four pillows in the pillars in the gateway to Hollywood sculpture, which is a Hispanic woman, an Asian woman, an African-American woman, and a white woman. Her image and career left a notable legacy. Her films, public appearances, and prominent magazine features helped to humanize Asian Americans to a white audience trying to dispel ideas that the East and West are super different. Shanghai Express continues to get acclaims, and many of her films are still shown at film festivals today. Many people in the gay community look to her as a mainstream symbol. She's currently on a Netflix show, Hollywood, where they are rewriting her story to give it the justice she deserves. And in May 2019, the second Asian woman made it onto the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Lucy Liu. Oh. And she acknowledged Anna Mae in her speech as a groundbreaking Asian actress who made space for other women. Their stars were placed next to each other. And Lucy Liu <laughs> joked in her speech, we can start a little Chinatown right here. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so I wanted to end on a quote. One of her most famous quotes when you look her up is, the harder the work, the greater the satisfaction in accomplishing it. Mm. And that's the story of Anna May Wong. I love it. What a roller coaster. What a roller coaster. Can you believe a hundred years before another woman was put on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Ridiculous. I mean, and it's not exactly a hundred years, but like she was born in 1905 and like yeah. Lucy Liu exists now. Yeah. Um, and like there are a lot of incredible um, Asian actresses, but I would venture to say that Lucy Liu is one of the only ones that's a household name. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I bet you that like most people couldn't even name people in the cast of Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Like list 10 people that are yeah. Asian that are actors. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Mindy Kaylee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's like, and it's just, it's when you really look at the numbers and yeah. you're like, oh, there's two Asian American actresses on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Two. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So Ugh. that's her story and well, I'm sticking to it. What a great story. You ready for more drinks? I am ready for more drinks. Let's do it. Yes. All right. So we are back. And with good news. With good news. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're excited about a lot of things that are coming down the pike for us. So just stay tuned. A little more teaser thing. We got a really exciting email. Um, But I guess should we... I don't know. We can wait till next week. We'll wait until next They'll week. See it. We'll They'll see it. On the, You'll see it on the gram. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got a good email that that might need some confirmation. Yes, exactly. We don't want to toot the horn too quick. Um, <laughs> but we are back with a second story and a second cocktail. Allie, do you want to know what you're about to drink? I mean, it looks beautiful. It Thank looks you. effervescent. <laughs> Is that a smell or a look? Uh, both. Okay. Well, it looks effervescent. <laughs> um, so this is called Spilling the Leah Tea. <laughs> it has no so tea in cute. it. So, but um, <laughs> it is an ounce and a half of Kashaka, um, Brazilian like rum. So we've used that before um, when we did uh, a person for, I think we used it when we did the bearded lady, right? I think so. Or something. I can't remember who we used it for before, but, um, so it is, um, Kashaka or Kashasa. I couldn't, I didn't know exactly how to pronounce it. Um, and then an ounce of triple sec, fresh lime juice, fresh grapefruit juice. I mean, I was like putting the pedal to the metal on those citrus fruits today. Um, and then you top it off with ginger beer and then you put a big like slice of grapefruit, like just fresh grapefruit in there and it's served on the rocks and it looks delightful. So I can't wait to drink it. It looks really good. <gasps> Cheers. Cheers. Oh no, it's really I'm cold. I'm spilling to the everywhere. That's fine. It's delicious. Ooh. It's citrus, but it's such a different citrus feel to my drink because my drink yeah. was orange juice. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of similar ingredients, but doesn't taste similar at all. And I feel like um, Kashaka is like, you know how Mezcal is like the smoky version of tequila? Oh, yeah. yes, yes, I feel yes. like Kashaka is that with like rum. Like it has this very distinct, like peppery, like smoky taste to it. And I can like smell it like on my like hands too, like mm. even, and I just poured it out like, but it's, it's great. It, it, ha- it just adds something a little different to the cocktail, it's which unique. I really like. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with this. Um, <laughs> uh, so tell me, what do you know about Leah T? Leah T is from Brazil. Yes. Leah T is transgender. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. (laughs) Now, I'm going to warn you, her story isn't that long because there really isn't that much on her. She's very current. She's very, like, new. But her the things that we know are very interesting. And I'm excited to tell you her story because it also puts a spotlight on some other shit going on with transgender politics in Brazil at the time, right now. Perfect. Let's get into it. Leah was born Leandro Cerezo 
Um, the female version of her name that she goes by now is Leandra Medeiros um, Cerezo, but she goes by Re- Leah T professionally. So we're just going to call her Leah for the remainder of this episode. Uh, I don't want to dead name her. I just want to, you know, make sure we are being respectful of her choices. Um, so we are just going to m- call her Leah. She was born in Brazil on February 19th, 1981, but her family moved to Italy where she, when she was very young. So that was where she was raised. So she speaks um, multiple languages. Um, she speaks Portuguese and um, Italian. Oh, wow. Yeah, and English. Um, her father, Toninho Cerezo, was a very well-known Brazilian professional football player or soccer. And her mother was a devout Catholic. That's like all we know about her. Oh, <laughs> Leah has two brothers and a sister and in what she called just like a very normal life growing up. Um, But she describes sex as being at the like forefront of her mind from when she was at a like very young age. Hmm. She knew from early on that she was different and she experienced same sex attraction, but she just kind of hid all of it because she's like, I don't know what to do with this. No one else is feeling this way. So I'm just going to not talk about it at all and stuff it down. Um, because it's just like what kids do when they feel different, especially in the 80s. Yeah, 80s and 90s is not when you're going to be like really talking no. about this. So as Leah grew up, she said she tried to be happy just living as a gay man, but something just like still wasn't right. She said, I wished so much to simply be a gay man. It would have been just so much easier for me and my family, but I wasn't. I was just born in the wrong body. And I want to point that out because this transition can be so painful for people i once heard someone talk about how they didn't think that it was real that you could just wake up one day and feel that you're a woman or a man and maybe that's how it happened for some people but in hearing a lot of these stories over the past few days specifically and years it's just something that it seems to me like you always kind of know something's going on, but you can't quite put a name on it. It's inherent. Yeah. Something's been telling these people for years that like, I, I'm not like this. I'm something else. I'm someone else. You know, something's wrong. And it's a really difficult decision to, to go forward with actively changing who you are. And Like, you're not changing who you are, but you're changing a lot of things and it's very scary. So I just don't want people to think that you just wake up and decide that you want to like cut your penis off, you know, because right. I think that totally belittles the work and effort that goes into transitioning. Absolutely. So, and we've, we've talked about several trans people yeah. on the show and every time I am blown away by the stories of like just the, the emotional trauma yeah. that's involved with this. Yeah, it's really uh, difficult. Um, and, you know, and that's not to say it's difficult for everybody. For some people, I think it could be, you know, maybe a little bit easier, but it's always going to be hard. Yeah, and especially... And there are we, a lot of barriers right, to people who want to do this. Yeah, in a binary society, it's just yeah. hard. So, um, and then to... And, like, and she just, like... And she says, I don't want this for myself you know like it would be so much easier if I wasn't like this so I just want to point that out because it's it's not easy um and then to make things even more complicated for Leah she describes herself as bisexual so she is living in two different lives that people like don't think exist you know right so she's transgender and bisexual so like and everybody's like just choose yeah exactly (laughs) so 
She worked through the fashion industry, eventually finding a job as an assistant to Givenchy uh, senior designer Richard Tishi. I'm sorry, Ricardo. Ricardo Tishi. Uh, the two became extremely close, and it was Tishi who encouraged her to be who she was. So while working for him, she started her transformation journey. At least that's kind of what I gather. Okay. Um, it was kind of hard to piece out like what exactly sparked the transition, but mm-hmm. it seemed to be that. Um, so she started to go by Leah T, taking the T to represent Tishi, which I thought was really sweet. Um, and she started modeling. So in 2008, she started hormone treatment and she made her first big splash on the fashion scene in 2010 when Tishi featured her in the Givenchy campaign, making her and her insane cheekbones the face of the entire 2010 campaign. Hell yeah. Yeah. Is that the first trans... Uh, trans model to be like the face of something yeah she's like the first trans supermodel okay got yeah. it so in 2011 she made her first runway debut becoming one of the most in-demand models in the fashion industry and in 2012 she finally underwent her sex reassignment surgery um and she's like at this time going on like talk shows and stuff like i got a lot of this from her interview with oprah which you know there are like some problematic things like you know the language obviously even just a few years ago isn't as refined as it is now oh my god our language at the beginning of this podcast (sighs) in 2018 is like not as refined we've matured (laughs) yeah exactly you can imagine that culture matures like you mess up yep so um And she's becoming more and more of a public figure. But remember, her father is this famous Brazilian soccer player. And people in Brazil take their football very, very seriously. So she's very she's becoming well known. And people are like, oh, my gosh, how do you think about this? What do you think about this? And the media likes to paint him as being like very against Leah. And like, that's not my child. Like, da, 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 da. But when Leah speaks to oprah about it in 2012 she told the story of her father saying you know if you want to be a man or a woman or a dog i don't care i love you and we always go to dog we do (laughs) it's so sweet it's a sweet sentiment it is (laughs) like i'd love you no matter what is what he meant (laughs) and so i'm sure that it was really difficult but when she talks about it in public she's like my dad loves me and when he went to one of my early fashion shows and saw me walking down the runway as a woman he called my sister and said i can die a happy man because i know that leah is happy now oh that breaks my heart and and i think that that is also something we don't talk about enough we like not love but like we are attracted to the stories of like the horrible monster parents that like don't accept their child and like you know because those are the ones that like are so heart-wrenching well it's like you came out of something through adversity Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know sometimes parents are just really fucking helpful yeah and it it just like is that our first cussing of the episode i don't know (laughs) we've been so tame this evening (laughs) Um, and I don't know. I just think it's really sweet that he's like, I I love the sentiment that he said, like, I can die a happy man because I feel like sometimes like when you're a parent who's very in tune with your child and they're going through something like that, which might be the last thing on your mind, you don't know what's going on, but you know, they're not happy. Mm-hmm. And 
he knew that, you know, Leo wasn't happy for a long time. And now it's like, he's like, no, that that's it. You did it. Like, you found, <laughs> you, know, your thing. Like, you found your thing. Exactly. And I just love that. Uh, her mother was a little slower to accept Leah because of her strict Catholicism. But BCW is at it again. Mm-hmm, benevolent. Well, these are benevolent Catholic women. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to the Christians, but uh, a lot more praying on the rosary. So, but she like still like, you know, is coming to accept her and made it clear that she still loved her. Um, and then when her grandmother found out, she told Leah that she was worried. She was like, I just don't know what's going to happen when I see you next. You're not going to be the same person. Like, I don't want to lose my grandchild. And then when she saw Leah for the first time, she said, goodness, but you are the same person. Like, so sweet. So now she still works as a model and is a very open advocate for transgender people. She has said in interviews that she considers herself like transgender even more so than like a woman per se because she's like i'm not like (sighs) she wants people to know that like trans people can be separate if they choose to be you know and it's like i'm trans and i'm very proud of that and like because some people are like you know i transitioned i'm fully a woman or a man now and that's how i'm living my life and i don't talk about that which is a totally acceptable route to go absolutely you know but she is specifically like a trans activist well because being an activist is difficult yes it so is so like if you are going to put yourself out there like you got to be ready yep absolutely um so okay uh and she talks about things that affect trans people specifically. Like she talked about how scared she was to undergo the surgery. She was like, you know, I am afraid that it's going to hurt mentally and physically. She's like, I'm very worried about that. And I'm just, I'm scared that I'm going to regret it. Like, what if I get done the surgery? And then I'm like, oh, wow, I kind of missed that. You know, what happens then? Because I think that sometimes people think when you're a transgender, you either have to go all the way or you're like not trans or whatever. And it's like there are so many people who are like, no, I am. I just don't want to undergo that surgery. Right. You know, because it's very intense. It's emotionally and physically exhausting. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And it's also so expensive. Yeah. We talked about that with the um, Martha P. Johnson episode. Yes. Like that was not a practical solution for no. her. Yeah. And it, it's totally fine if that's not the route you want to go. It doesn't belittle your identity, right. like however you want to identify yourself. So um, I just think it's cool that she talks so openly about her struggles with that. It's not just like, yeah, I did it and I feel fantastic. Like right. It's like, no, it's really hard. <laughs> so um, she has been featured in editorials in Vogue Paris, Numero, Interview, and Love in 2011. Um, she was also on the cover of two editions of the spring summer 2011 edition of uh, this big magazine called Love. And they did a really cool feature on her and this like really extensive interview, which is really great. Um, and it's just great, too, because she wants other young trans people to see her and to talk about these things like she talks in the inner in that interview about how like. Yeah, it, like, really hurts when you have to, like, tape your balls and your penis up and then, like, sit on them for, like, a seated photo shoot. 
She's like, it sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and then she is in this magazine, Love, and she has this feature of her like kissing Kate Moss. She's also graced the covers of international editions of Elle, Marie Claire, Gracia, Glamour, Glamour. And in February 2015, Leah T was chosen by Forbes magazine as one of the 12 women who, who changed Italian fashion. Wow. I mean, Italian fashion is a big. Yes, it is. (laughs) Second only to Paris. Maybe. (laughs) And then one of of my favorite things, um, in 2016, Leah T went to the Olympics. Brazil was hosting the Olympics Mm -hmm. that year. And when the 465 members of the Brazilian Olympic team entered the stadium in the opening ceremony, Leah T was the first one that everyone saw. She was like riding this like kick ass like tricycle bike with like all this Brazilian stuff on it and the Brazilian flag. And she's like riding in and she's the first one you see, which is so cool. And she looks amazing. So I just think it's great. So if you can look it up, do it because she's amazing. That's great because they featured other fashion models so like Giselle Bundchen was like mm-hmm. part of the um opening ceremony yeah. it's like if you are on caliber with like Giselle Bundchen you've mm-hmm. made it exactly so she has been involved in numerous campaigns from big brands including Pantene uh she is officially noted as the world's first trans supermodel as we said and she has undoubtedly trailblazed the path for trans models of Brazil to have a safe haven in the fashion industry. Uh, One of these models is Brazilian-born Victoria Sampaio. Victoria is the first trans model to grace the cover of Vogue magazine in 2017. And she started making a name for herself when Ed Rosick, the president of Victoria's Secret, declared that the company would never hire a transgender or plus-size model. Well, fuck him. So there was incredible black backlash, obviously. And a year later, he resigned and Victoria was hired as the first trans Victoria's Secret model. And she's gorgeous, obviously. <laughs> um, and then there's Sam Porto, a trans male model who, quote, wears his scars like war paint. And they have all found a home in fashion following Leah's footsteps. Now, it all isn't perfect, and the articles that I was reading, um, this one was specifically from a Washington Post article, Um, it was quick to point out that black trans models still have a more difficult time, and some of these models of, like, you know, any skin tone get bogged down by protests and the daily struggle of people purposefully misgendering or deadnaming them, which is really difficult. Um, It's just, it seems like, oh my gosh, you've made it, but they haven't. Right. You know, like, I think it was um, Victoria talks about like, yeah, when I first started like getting like bigger and bigger gigs, like the makeup people would refer to me as he and like use those pronouns. And is like, actually, Victoria, she has never revealed her like birth name because she's like, I know if I reveal it, people will call use it me to attack, use me. it to attack me. Exactly. So, um. Trans models succeeding in Brazil and Leah opening up the Olympics is very important for many reasons, but most importantly because Brazil has a terrible history when it comes to trans people. Really? Yes. And (laughs) it's just not moving in a positive direction. Like everything kind of came to a halt in 2019 because 
in at the end of 2018, um, um Bolsonaro was elected president. And to this give keeps you, happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to give you a warning of how this is going to go, his nickname is the Trump of the Tropics. Hmm. It's like Boris Johnson. Yeah. So he was elected because people underestimated how many people there were in Brazil who thought like him. People literally were saying, no, he's too toxic to win. So then they just didn't go out and vote because they're like, he's never going to win. So like, what I've does it matter? I've never seen that happen before. I know. And he won on a campaign of promising to lock up crooked politicians and make it easier for police to shoot drug traffickers. Sound familiar? Yeah. In fact, when he came to the U.S. and spoke alongside of Trump in the Rose Garden, he spoke of all the good work his government was doing for the, quote, respect of traditional family values and opposition to gender identity. He specifically brought that up? Specifically brought that up. That's bullshit. The father of five, he has five children, said that he would rather like he said he would be unable to love a homosexual son and he would rather his son die than be gay that's the most disgusting thing he said that in public this is the president of brazil and he was elected i can't i cannot fathom wishing death on a person because of their sexuality let alone my child yeah it's terrible so during uh, Bolsonaro's first week in office, his Minister of Women, Family, and Human Rights said that from now on, boys will wear blue and girls will wear pink. They tried to like, be like, there'll be no... It, that was basically what it's saying is like, no more cross-dressing. Like, absolutely not. Like, you'll wear male clothes, you'll wear female clothes. He once told a female congresswoman that she was too ugly to be raped. And he was oh, our president says shit like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, cool. And he once said about a black community who were descendants of slaves, quote, they do nothing. They are not even good for procreation. He is so terrible. And he also cut public funding to LGBTQ centered TV programming in Brazil. And he also vowed to revise school textbooks to remove references to feminism, homosexuality, and violence against women. What is wrong? I don't... With the bigotry. It's ridiculous. Why is it... Why is the world voting for bigot? Is it the last stand? Is that what it is? Is it the last stand in the battle that they've been fighting and now... You know what I mean? How right at the end you get your second wind... I legitimately think that we constantly underestimate how many people think like that because I guess, I guess you're right. I, Oh, I mean, think about like it's constant. And I feel bad because it surprises me because I'm a middle-class white person who like has never had to experience this on a daily basis of like, it's like that. It's the SNL sketch when like, I think it's, um, it's like the sketch where it's like, election day and i think it's dave Chappelle, and everyone is like i can't believe trump keeps winning and he's like i can believe it like (laughs) you guys don't live in the same america that i do i can totally see how this would happen and white people are like what the fuck and it's like yeah it's unbelievable to us because we don't experience it every fucking day okay yeah i'm no i'm totally on board now like you're right and it's something that like 
I still have a hard time wrapping my head around and I just have to kind of throw it up to like, it's because I don't live, you know, like, I mean, I do live in that America, but I don't see it as clearly. Like, I, I don't think I'm woke enough. I'm no, oh, we're definitely not. And like, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. We're trying. Like, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I think that I'm part of the problem and I probably am. But yeah, there's like people who are. Yeah, seriously. Part of the problem. No, absolutely. Um, and his just dangerous alt-right thinking has made it even more okay to target trans, gay, and black people in Brazil. And according to the Washington Post, more trans people are killed in Brazil per year than anywhere else in the world. What the hell? At least 163 trans people were killed last year. And life expectancy for transgender people there is 35 years old. No! Yeah. I'd be like... 35 near in the end it's ridiculous brazil's reported murders of trans people made up 47 percent of the number globally my wow a trans person is killed in brazil every 48 hours and the antra and ibte don't know what they are didn't look it up notes (laughs) (laughs) their report notes that 83 percent of these murders had quote characteristics of extreme cruelty such as excessive use of dismemberment, drowning, and other brutal forms of violence. And that includes stonings and beheadings. Is it Bible times? Apparently. What are we doing? And police only arrest suspects in 9% of these cases. And they're the highest in the world. Yeah. Oh, my God. But there are people fighting on the other side. And I want to end this story by talking about Erica Malgunijo da Silva. So in October of 2018, she became the first black trans woman elected to Brazil's Congress. But before that, she made a name for herself by opening up a space called Aparelha Luzia. It is a 10,000 square foot center, which brings together the Afro-Brazilian population, like from like all over the country. People can come here. It acts as a place of community and a place of resistance. So she's like, you can come, you can have your band play and just hang out. You can have a rally. You can come here and make protest signs. You can do whatever you want. This is your space to get together and brainstorm or just hang out because she said it's just a place for the black people of Brazil to just come and escape the toils of the daily racism they face. Wow. Which is like horrible that a place like this even needs to exist, but I'm glad it does. It reminds like, me of um, base when you're playing tag. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you base. You are running yeah. so hard to yeah. get away from the people who are like literally trying to get you. Yeah, it's like to have a base. It's like just so you can breathe free yeah. for a second for a second. So um, she is motivated to fight racism through social tourism in the Quilombos and indigenous territories as a strategy to kind of combat, um, combat discrimination and advocate for the protection and visibility of minorities, as well as to promote a sustainable economy. Because, again, Brazil was kind of at the epicenter of the Caribbean slave trade. Okay. So they have a huge, again, Afro-Brazilian population that are descendants from the slaves that were brought over from Africa. Right. And they are still discriminated against to this day. I mean, I just talked about um, that book that I read and how it's like 
the the main character of the book is like a young like quote unquote like white kid and he has a lighter skin tone so like he has a lot more privileges than his you know quote black maid mm. you know and it's just a really um interesting social dynamic that again i don't think about because i don't really think about brazil frankly that often mm. you know and but they have such an incredible history of these mixing of cultures and how black people are still, you know, just affected by racism down there, you know, and I don't know. So, um, she is working for that. Um, she has almost, um, she has also promised to fight for the rights of the LGBTQ community and has claimed that she would focus on the fundamental rights of trans people and their inclusion in the workforce. She also plans on supporting um, proposals that benefit homeless people, and she reviews housing programs. She desires to promote a um, compassionate reception in hospitals and police stations for survivors of sexual assault, and she advocates for the guarantee of civil civil rights and tolerant care for women seeking abortions. So my end message is that when the people at the top seem like they are against you and they would rather you die than be who you are, remember that there is always someone fighting for you. Even if you don't know they exist yet, they are fighting for you on those lower levels. And when it looks like the whole government and the whole system is against you, there's someone fighting for you at some level, which I know is not helpful, but they exist. So... That's the story of Leah T and transgender politics in Brazil. That's incredible. That's something I never would have learned about. No. And I didn't. uh, Yeah. I had no idea that all of this was going on in Brazil because again, as like Americans, I feel like we just have this vision of Brazil like fun, tropical, like, yeah, like bikinis, volleyball, beach volleyball. Oh my gosh. Rio de Janeiro. (laughs) So, so yeah, so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Um, and if you have any more resources to point to us listeners, I would love to learn even more about this because yeah. like, I feel like I did like a surface level scratch. Yeah. Send them our way. Yeah. We love we love your advice. We love your mm. extra detail. It's so great. Mm-hmm. So um, all right. Well, I think we need to talk about these women in a segment that we like to call <laughs> Just the Two of Us. Well, um, I mean, I feel like one of the central parts of both of their stories is that they like grew up somewhere other than their nationality, but were both seen as exotic. Yes. Like the exotification of both of these women is interesting because Leah T, because she is transgender, um, it's interesting that she actually doesn't get those questions as often hmm. as like anime Wong did. Right. Because people are so focused on that. But like it's almost like, oh, I'm glad you're not like fetishizing me. But <laughs> yeah. like your her ethnicity is not part of the role because they're so obsessed with her gender identity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I thought that to your point, it was very shocking how they both felt like I you know, anime Wong was like, I'm either too American or I'm too Chinese. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Leah T was also living in these two worlds where like I can't identify um a gender at, yeah. or, or people won't let me identify a gender. Obviously mm-hmm. she has identified as she her mm-hmm. hers. But um and then like I can't 
you know, I, if I'm identifying also as bisexual, it's like I'm either to this or to that. I'm not yeah. like I'm skating some sort of line that people don't want me to be in. No, exactly. And I think it's interesting that we both brought up in our stories that we didn't know that this was a problem for people because we are so like as much as we have expanded our world with the Internet and this day and age, we are so unaware of the things that plague people of other cultures and other races because we grew up in an area where like that wasn't at the forefront. Yeah. You know, like Brazil and like Asian American actors and actresses are, were not on the forefront of my mind growing up. And it's just, I mean, it's a privilege thing. It is. Like no, it totally that's is. not a problem for me. So how could it be a problem for somebody else? Which is part of the issue with society that we yeah. won't acknowledge that problems beyond our vision exist. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that like when these problems become real for us, it's when we look at the numbers. Yeah. We both brought up very specific numbers of like, this is how many trans people are killed in Brazil every year. This is how many Asian American, you know, you're just Asian female actresses have won awards in Hollywood, <laughs> you know? And like, it's interesting too, because one's a really low number and that's a problem. And one's a super high number and that's mm -hmm. a problem. Oh yeah. And I mean, both people were, you know, born into a body that knew they were supposed to be something else yeah and it's like it's not that Anna Mae Wong didn't want to be Asian but when she was sitting in that segregated section mm. of the theater watching the screen she's saying that's where I belong I yeah. don't belong here and that's the same thing that Leah T did she was like I, I I was born into this body but I am going to do something about it yeah and the thing is one is something that you can change now. And one is something that you can't and you shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. Anna Mae Wong should never have felt that she wanted to change her race. Right. And it sucks that like she would have more easily gotten roles if she was white wanting to play an Asian woman. Oh, yeah. Than actually being Asian. Yeah. She spent her whole life acting like she's someone that she's not. And I feel like a lot of trans people probably go through that struggle yeah. in the beginning like I'm acting like I'm this gender but I'm not this gender yeah no exactly and I also like I was thinking a lot about how it seemed to me that anime Wong had to go through all of these things like pretty solo oh yeah I felt like she was doing all of her fighting and struggling just like by herself and that made me so sad because I feel like with Leah T she actually had some people that were like oh no we support you yeah because thankfully it was like the early 2000s and it wasn't a perfect time for being trans I mean now is not a person there like there hasn't been a perfect time for being trans yet. not yet <laughs> not yet we're working towards it hopefully um not with you know Trump and Bolsonaro the new president, yet. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but it's I just thought that was a really interesting part of their stories that like Anna was like, I know I'm going to have to. Anime was like, I know I'm going to have to do this alone, but I'm going to do it. And she did. So, she just worked so hard. Yeah. I And I think the thing that's sad about it is like I pictured her while I was doing a lot of these stories, you know, after not being invited to really crucial things that she had been fighting for or like yeah. having to do these stupid roles, like going to bed at night alone and just laying down and being like, why? Yeah. Why am I even 
doing this. And then there's people like Leah T who did get invited to the Olympics mm-hmm. to the opening ceremony. And even though Anna Mae Wong and Leah T are not the same, um, the, you know, from the same country, don't have the same backstory, Anna Wong doing the things she did led to people like Leah T being able to break out of their box. Well, you need somebody to do it first. Even if it's not somebody who's your direct role model, yeah. you absolutely need an advocate. Absolutely. And I wrote that. Um, I feel like they both made space for other women by humanizing who they were. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things like, Everyone says that it's like it. the problem doesn't seem like a problem to you or like it doesn't seem real to you unless you know someone personally. Mm-hmm. And for them, they're like, all right, well, I'll be that personal person, you know, yeah. that's like I'm an Asian-American actress who's really good at my job. They were falling on the dagger for people. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to get any respect, but I'm going to keep trying because she could have easily been like, all right, I didn't get that role. I'm done with Hollywood. Like, fuck you guys. But like. She kept fighting. And for Leah T, I feel like her whole platform is like, no, like I'm inviting you in. I'm telling you, I'm answering your questions. Like yeah. literally like, and she does it so gracefully. Like, I mean, Oprah was like, but where do you put your penis? You know, oh. it's just like, oh my gosh. And like on like daytime television. And it's like, she's like, well, you know, it, like this is what I do and this is how it works. And It's just, again, that humanizing aspect of like, sometimes I think you literally need to see another person experiencing it or talking about it for you to kind of get it because the facts on paper sometimes aren't enough. And sometimes even knowing someone isn't enough for a lot of people. And that's why we're in the situation that we are with two Trumps in Brazil and America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I mean, I, I saw it so clearly when Kate McKinnon gave her speech at the, I think it was the Oscars about Ellen DeGeneres. Oh my God. Broke my heart. And it was just so beautiful to be like, I knew I could be gay because you were gay and you told me it was all right. And that's, So that was the beautiful part about the end of Hollywood is like you see and I think this was like a good choice they made of like they showed, you know, people who were like the people winning Oscars at home just crying with tears of joy that like a person like them was awarded this amazing achievement. But I think where the show lacked was they I think they should have had like a note at the end that was like. This is fictional. This didn't happen. The first black woman like won a Oscar for leading actress in this date because like, you know, and then Anna Mae Wong didn't actually win an actress or win an Oscar and the first Asian American woman to win an Oscar was in this date. Like to bring and people back. And it's Natalie back, Portman. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie Wood. <laughs> Wait. Oh, Natalie Portman. I thought you said Natalie Wood. Mm-mm. Natalie Portman. Is listed as an the Asian American. only Asian American actress to win an Oscar for Best Actress. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> because she was born in Israel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought you said Natalie Wood for a minute, and I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Like, I didn't even know she was born in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, but I forgot. I that really threw me off because I was picturing someone totally different in my mind. Wild, right? Yes, super <laughs> crazy. <laughs> But, you know, I kind of wish that the show had brought it back to reality, but they didn't bring it back. They were just like, this is the 
you know, this is the Hollywood ending that everyone would get their Oscar and history would be changed. Right. And, you know, <laughs> Anna Mae Wong would win her Oscar, but she didn't. And Mm-mm. I think that that is the the way we would like to think about things. And one of the reasons we're in this situation that we're in is people think that their situation isn't that bad. Oh, mm-hmm poo-poo anime one didn't win an oscar it's like yeah but she didn't win an oscar and then you know millions of japanese americans were put into internment camps and like it's all connected yeah a discrimination isn't just you didn't win an oscar yeah it's across (laughs) the board (laughs) oscar so white and also murder yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's like we don't respect this group of people across mm. the board yeah and it's shown we don't even in, give them roles yeah and it's shown in this area that to you may seem frivolous but then it's shown in this area which is literally yeah. life or death right and i think i mean both of their stories brought up like i would rather you die than be that and she was like i died in every movie role <laughs> every single time i died yeah. hundreds of times yeah and we know that the suicide rate for trans youth is very, very high. So high. Unfortunately. And I just feel like because you have presidents out there saying like, yeah, you should die. Yeah. And it's appalling and unacceptable. And I mean, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you feel the same way. So I'm yeah, like, but it's also <laughs> like, dude, they're not just speaking that like you should die. They're speaking for other people's parents. Like say a trans kid heard that and they're like, oh my God, now I can't tell my parents. So you're taking away the right of that parent to accept their child when they may have. Oh my gosh. A perfect thing about this is, I'm sorry, this is Shit's Creek spoilers for everyone, <laughs> but there's an amazing episode where David's boyfriend has not come out to his parents yet. And... They come to town and like, you know, David's parents accidentally out him to his parents. Like, you know, they're, yeah. like, they're meeting the in-laws and they're like, oh, I'm so happy that like, you know, David, I'm totally forgetting. This. They're together. <laughs> they're yeah. together. I'm so excited. And they're like, he's gay. And then David's father's like, oh my fucking God, I just outed him. And he feels so bad. And then it comes to like, it all comes to a boiling point. But then they make the other turn and his parents are like, we aren't upset that you're gay. We're upset that you felt uncomfortable telling us. Oh. We feel like bad parents. And like, oh. It's like this turn of, he probably, because his parent, he was like, my parents are very Christian. They're very like right wing and like whatever. And so I can't imagine being a young trans person be like, my parents voted for Trump, so they must hate me. And then just never being able to even breach that because the person that they voted for, this is why your vote fucking matters to your children, to other people, to the public, like show your support for someone who doesn't make your child want to die. Right. Like who isn't or other, a another person, not even your child, just any other person want to die. Right. Like it's so terrible. And now I'm on a rant and I have not eaten anything today. And I've, <laughs> I've been drinking so much. And I've, I just like, I've been crying a lot this week because of this story. We're and I'm so drunk. <laughs> okay. Okay. We need to, are you, do you have anything else to say? No, I think we're good. Okay, we we're did good. it. Other than they both knew their bodies, knew their angles oh. and fashion, 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 fashion. Absolutely. <laughs> That's oh. a positive trend. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready to toast. I'm ready. To you think toast. I can do it? I can think you can do it. Okay. Um, so, Anna Mae Wong is an icon and a symbol for Asian women. 
But I also think that she was a pioneer for marginalized women in general. And I think more than a toast, I this week, this is kind of a call to action. We got a really sweet um, review this week mm. on iTunes just about really like knowing your own biases like as a person. And I think as a call to action, it's really important to seek role models in women that don't look like you yeah. or don't have like a similar story to you because it's something that marginalized women have had to do for a really long time. Oh, like anime yes. long did not have a rule book to follow. She had to create the rule book all by herself. And I think it's really powerful and it brings humanity to all of us, even when we're different. Absolutely. So, cheers. cheers. It's shocking how much that toast goes with our just the two of us. Absolutely. I can't believe they went together so I well. Know. I know. We, okay. we, and we even had ginger in both of our drinks. We struck I magic yet again. <laughs> tell you how little we planned this. <laughs> also, if I had made that like milk strawberry cocktail last week in this heat and humidity, I would have died. Yeah, it would have been um, horrendous. So my toast this week is to the women underneath. It can be really difficult to accept who you are and make that journey, but people are here for you and we at Hearst on the Rocks care about you and things will be okay whenever you are ready to take that journey. And we just, I just, I just want to say for Allie and I, we, I hope we have trans listeners and if you're there and you're, you know, we just see you and we hear you and we love you and we support you. Even if your parents don't. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. And we're sorry when we fuck up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So there's a really cool podcast that's like based on a book. Uh, so I'd really suggest the book, but the podcast is cool too. Um, and it's called Mobituaries. <gasps> I love with it. With Mo Rocca? Yes, yes. With Mo Rocca. Um, I only know him from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. And it, because he's so famous, it's a really nicely produced podcast. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like... <laughs> He, like he covers in obituaries like things people technologies countries that just like die out yeah just like anything that just like disappeared from earth and like the reason behind it and the story behind it and it's just really cool and it's really nice way to look at things from the past with just the entire backstory i love it and mm -hmm. it's something you should check out either audio or just buy the book it's a good book awesome dragons are in it yes and where they went <laughs> i um used one of his episodes for my audrey hepburn oh did you yes i did he did a lovely episode on audrey hepburn. he does a great he does a really great job because he <sighs> actually goes out and talks to yeah famous people and like does interviews and like it's it's <sighs> listen to that instead yeah. of this what yeah, are you doing please. why are you here <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna promote this week speaking of trump a hilarious instagram <laughs> so um she is uh sarah cooper and she has this instagram and it's uh, at sarah cpr and she does these voice dubs so she plays like trump's actual audio and she does like a lip sync to it <laughs> but it's not like a song like she's literally just talking and so you can't say that she's making fun of him per se because it's his actual audio like he said these things. It is the funniest thing that I've seen in a very long time. That's good. I need some funny. It's so great. And it's like, <laughs> I 
And it also shows because I can't watch him speak, but I can watch him speak through her. (laughs) Um, And it's fantastic because it's the best way to be like, this is how stupid he is because I'm not altering this at all. I'm just using his exact like I'm words, using his, his exact yeah. words. It's crazy. So it's great. Sarah CPR, I highly recommend it for a laugh. That's great. Um, so and she also wrote two books, which is really cool. So check them out. Um, but yeah, so I think that's it for us. We it need is. To, we need to sober up. Oh um, my god, yeah. And <laughs> get back to our lives. We're um, on <laughs> Twitter, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. LinkedIn. We're killing it. We're everywhere. Soon to be all over Soon the world. Soon to be someplace <laughs> big. And we'll tell you about that when the time comes. Yeah. Um, and then look out for our interviews. We're going to be posting a couple more special episodes soon. So we'll keep you updated. Just again, if you want to be updated, follow us on the social medias so you know. And please rate and view us on Apple Podcasts. It's our favorite thing. We get so excited and it's great and we love it. And we'll post it on Instagram when we get it in. Sometimes it takes a couple days because yeah. of the thing. I was going to say the cloud, but I don't know if that's what it is. Yeah, it's just um. <laughs> iTunes takes forever to post reviews. Yeah. So, but just know we love you. We care about you. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women write exclusively in cursive. <laughs> True. Uh, and they rarely make history. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye